Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Cityco, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Cityco, and today I'm talking to Paul Dennett, city mayor of Salford. Paul was elected mayor just over a year ago, succeeding Ian Stewart as the second directly elected mayor of Salford. So if we start with the obvious, Paul, what's the role of city mayor? <laughs> what's the role of city mayor? Okay. Um, the role of a city mayor, certainly under a directly elected mayor model, is is multifaceted. Um, from one day to the next, you don't really know what it is you're going to be dealing with. Um, and I think recent events um, around things like cladding and um, the relocation of the BBC to Media City only today is in the news. You know, you're having to respond to an awful lot of what, what's going on around you. Um, but broadly, the role of the city mayor is to you know, look after the people of the city as far as I'm concerned. And part of my campaign and manifesto was very much about equality and fairness for all. That was the strap line on which I campaigned within the city. So why did you stand? I mean, did, were, had you been motivated before um, the, the mayorality came along? Uh, had you had a look at sort of the powers that the mayor had at, at that point before you thought about standing? Well, um, I'm not motivated by power and status at all. What I'm primarily motivated by is doing things and doing things that benefit the people of the city. That is what gets me out of bed in, in the morning. And, you know, by and large, I'm probably quite a pessimistic person and it's my idealism, if I'm honest with you, that motivates me, you know, the need for a better world, a better society. And that's what motivated me in politics. Um, prior to getting involved in politics, I taught at the university and was doing um, research into new public management, private finance initiatives, public-private partnerships. Got a little frustrated, I guess, with higher education um, in terms of the struggle to put it into practice Mm. um, and felt that politics offered me a real opportunity to work with other like-minded people to try and do progressive things, really, in what are challenging and difficult times. But you had been involved in in politics in the sense of... Yeah, I've been involved in the Labour Party for for many years now, and obviously I was a community activist before I became a councillor. I was a councillor in Langworthy Ward for four years. And then obviously the vacancy emerged when the previous city mayor stood down. And I thought, well, throw your hat in the ring and see where, where you go. But it wasn't, I wasn't motivated by power and status and wanting to be the city mayor. Power no, with a big P. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, you talked about the range of things that uh, you cover. So talk me through a typical day. Well, in in many respects, there aren't typical days. I mean, there are certain things we have to do. So we have cabinet, we have cabinet briefing, and the agenda is determined by decisions that need to be taken. Quite a lot of the decisions that need to be taken are driven by policy initiatives lead members are working on or the budget we set annually every year as a council. Um, And also responding to, you know, policy announcements that the government make and how they then play out within local government. Um, one of the things I'm regularly reminded of in this job, um, even in light of you know combined authorities and devolution, is how centralised our government actually is. You know, the decisions taken down in London and Westminster have profound implications for what happened here locally in Salford and, and Greater Manchester. And we've really seen that over the last few weeks with decisions around Crossrail being financed and withdrawal of funding for northern transport infrastructure and so absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've talked an awful lot about the importance of the Northern Powerhouse and government have said they're accepting supportive of this this agenda but certainly recent actions would bring that into question absolutely <laughs> absolutely now I think there's some confusion for people now we have a greater Manchester mayor as well so how does your role sit with that of Andy Burnham yeah so I'm 
the leader of Salford City Council. Um, I am a directly elected mayor. We have a directly elected mayor system in Salford because the people of Salford have a had a referendum on this form of governance, and ultimately we've got this for, for 10 years uh, at a minimum. Um, we can have another referendum and change that after the 10-year period, but it's up to the people of Salford to decide what sort of governance they want for the city. So, in a sense, all I am is um, a city mayor for the city of Salford, but I also sit within Andy Burnham's cabinet, and I lead on housing, planning and homelessness for Greater Manchester, which is the portfolio that Andy's recently given me. Previously, I led on low carbon and the green economy. Um, yeah, because the way the mayorality for Greater Manchester was set up, the 10 leaders of the, of the boroughs were seen as the cabinet and seen as essential to the process. So it wasn't just coming in, wiping them all away and then starting again from scratch. Absolutely. So, yeah, the, the constitution of the combined authority means that a lot of the decisions are made um, in collaboration with the 10 leaders of the 10 districts within Greater Manchester. And, you know, the, there's very little that Andy can operate in isolation on in terms of taking some key decisions. So, yeah, that's the sort of constitution we have, which is quite collegiate and very much consensus based. And have there been any major clashes so far? Or can't you say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there have been um, any major clashes recently. Um, and I think that's because culturally in Greater Manchester, we've got a whole history of partnership, you know, through things like um, the, the regional growth um, element to Greater Manchester and AGMA, the Association of Greater Manchester Authorities, which predates um, the combined authority and things like LEPs and, and just general partnership working is seemingly the norm within Greater Manchester, to be honest with you, which is, in my opinion, one of our strengths. Yeah, I guess there's a feeling that compared to some other cities, I mean, the West Midlands, for instance, which up till 74, um, the boroughs worked together, but haven't really since, uh, that we are actually, we've, we've had the advantage of, of, of having worked together so well for the last 20, 25 years, that um, whether there's a mayor there at the top of it or not, mm. that sort of working together process and coming together was was underway and was, was a really strong process all along. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we had the Regional Development Agency as well. So absolutely, there is a long, long history within Greater Manchester. I also think there's something about our working class history in Greater Manchester where we understand what it means by solidarity and community and we just pull together to try and get the best out of the situation we, we all find ourselves in. Um, I think one of the differences though with the directly elected mayor model and obviously devolution in the combined authority is now you know Andy's got a, a platform on which to raise a lot of issues and the media the global media are increasingly interested in what we're doing here within Greater Manchester which is good for us in terms of where we're going our strategic direction as a city region and it's also good to ensure we get a fair deal out of government. Yeah I think there's been a definite feeling obviously um, with Andy coming in with virtually the first thing being the arena bombing almost straight afterwards um, as, a, as a tragedy but there is a feeling that that soft power that having a mayor and a national status figure coming in um, has allowed us to have a voice that possibly even very powerful city leaders um, wouldn't have been able to have they wouldn't have got on the agenda of the national and the international newspapers in quite the same way and that that's only going to be to our benefit over the next few years you'd think. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, the Manchester attack was uh, absolutely horrific. I mean, words can't really explain how, you know, people must have felt throughout that period. But what was amazing is the, is the solidarity and sense of community within Greater Manchester in terms of how people pulled together 
and supported those families. You know, the amount of money we raised was absolutely phenomenal to support those individuals. And that really demonstrates um, the culture of Greater Manchester and the spirit of Greater Manchester and the partnership working and collaboration. We genuinely care about each other and we'll look to look after each other. And the mayor obviously is now a figurehead and, and, and can prom promote that to the, the rest of the world, really, which is fantastic. So after all these years of uh, working as a community activist and within the Labour Party and within Salford, um, I mean, what do you think are the strengths of Salford? Yeah, so for me, I think it's its people. So the people of Salford for me have always been um, its strength. I mean, we're regularly reminded really in the city of Salford by our motto on our coat of arms, which is the welfare of the people is, is the highest law. But also there's this notion of working class resilience, which you know, is absolutely phenomenal. People do genuinely pull together, even in difficult times, to try and find the best solutions for each other within the city. And this is not just about the role of the local authority, the third sector, the community sector, businesses within the city. You know, we, we've got a great sense of partnership and collaboration within the city. And although there's often a rhetoric, I think, of partnership, actually, we do genuinely collaborate in Salford, which is absolutely fantastic. I also think the other strength is the kind of can-do attitude we have. You know, primarily I'm motivated by doing things and doing things that benefit the people of the city. You know, political speeches, political rhetoric is, yeah, it's part of the process, but it shouldn't be an end in itself. It's actually about building relationships, building teams and making things happen and creating opportunities for people in the city. And I think we're all signed up to that agenda within the city and we all collaborate in the interests of the people of the city. So that to me is primarily Salford's strength, it's its people. Um, and has your interaction or your ability to interact with people on the street, people on the street corner, as it were, has that changed since you became city mayor? I mean, obviously you have a lot less time, presumably, to be out and about. So how do you maintain that connection? So, yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, that is probably one of my biggest frustrations as city mayor is the amount of meetings and paperwork I have to read, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I came into politics to do things, to keep my feet on the ground, to engage with communities and to try and find solutions to, to problems, which is very difficult within a context of, of local government cuts and austerity. And, you know, trying to strike that balance is, is really challenging, if I'm honest with you. You know, a lot of my time is spent in meetings, reading paperwork to take decisions. And I'd really like to be out there more within communities, talking to people and understanding from their perspective how, you know, how things are going, really, certainly within the last 14 months since I've, I've been mayor. Is that something you're going to try and build more time in to do or find new ways of doing? Yeah, I mean, I try and balance it. And also I share the workload, not just, you know, with myself and my two deputy city mayors, Paula and John, but also with the rest of the cabinet who have responsibilities for very specific areas of local government activity. And I've been clear in terms of my leadership um, that I expect them also to be engaging the residents and the stakeholders within the city in their portfolio areas of responsibility. So for me, it's not just about the mayor interacting with the city it's also about everyone actually playing a role in terms of engaging and meaningfully engaging and listening to what people are saying within the city it's one of those i think um jewels potentially very positive but potentially also very negative things that we're in a period through uh, social media and so on where actually leaders can be more in touch with people than they've ever been able to be before very directly but that's not necessarily with all the people because an awful lot of people are excluded or have no interest in being on social media. So you get the same loud voices um, shouting out. So you, you get this, this dual issue where it could be quite easy to be on Twitter and appearing to mm. be available, but actually you're not really digging that, able to dig down deep and, and see what the real problems are for real people on every street in the city. Yeah, absolutely. I think social media is absolutely 
fascinating on a whole number of levels, really. Um, and it gives you real-time information and real insight into you know, lived experiences within a city across a whole range of different issues. Um, but the problem we've got is to feed that kind of communication vehicle costs, costs money, it costs time, it costs resources. And since 2010, the city council's lost 186 million in its revenue budget. 47% of our budget is gone. Um, communications, therefore, is a consequence of that because it's not the ultimate priority, you know, looking after kids, kids in care and, you know, children's services, social workers, um, adult social care, which we know is a massive national challenge at the moment, are the priorities of, of the city of Salford. And even there, we've had to cut back and make really difficult decisions. So communications is really important. However, within a climate of austerity and local government cuts, it's really difficult to justify spending a lot of money on doing doing more of that really and you can only communicate about the real stuff that, that's Absolutely. going on so yeah, it needs yeah. that. Um, <clears throat> for us it's the city center that's of prime interest i guess and and there's been a huge amount of de development on your side of the urban over the last few years and even more planned um so how do you see that changing over the next decade and more yeah, so government have been fairly explicit with local authorities that they ideally want to get us into a situation where local authorities are self-financing. And as a consequence of that, we've had to become a lot more enterprising as a council and a lot more innovative, really. And that has meant taking you know, bold decisions around you know, where we spend our, our capital. Um, and obviously key to that is generating business rates and the local authority trying to think about how it can generate more revenue as a city council to protect jobs and services. So as we've seen within New Bailey and Greengate, which sit very close to the city centre of, of Manchester, we've seen home to um, Swinton Insurance recently moved there. They've put their, their headquarters there. And also Freshfield, Brookhouse, Derringer which is a law firm, have also set up in, in New Bailey. So, you know, there's been fantastic growth there, and it's about how we can capitalise on, on our proximity to the city centre to continue to create jobs for people, create opportunities in the building of these, these buildings, these real estate um, buildings, and also embedding social value within that process to ensure that what businesses come to Salford, we work with them to try and create jobs and opportunities, working with the University of Salford as well. So it's not just about uh, we've got an empty office block, we need to get in whatever businesses we can to fill it, or it's not just about that. Um, so talk us through social value, because you've talked quite a lot about that. Yeah, so it's no surprise at the moment that you know, a lot of people, um, and the chatterati I refer to them as, are often talking about inclusive growth. And inclusive growth is very much about social value. And what that is, is the idea of creating an opportunity by linking economic development and growth with, you know, poverty, experiences of poverty, or, you know, young people coming through the education system looking for opportunities. So, it's about linking growth and economic development with real opportunities for people within the city. Um, a lot of this is considered non-statutory work and we get no money from government to, to do this sort of stuff. Um, but it's really, really important because the best antidote to poverty is <coughs> decent employment, decent paid employment with decent terms and conditions. So it's absolutely critical for the city that we work with economic development, growth, businesses wanting to relocate into Salford to one, link them into our education system, be that the college or be that the university and, and secondary education, and, and raise aspirations, if you like, within, within you know, those institutions. And also give young people real experience of what business life is, is about. 
Um, but it's also important that we work with those businesses to genuinely create jobs and employment for, for the people of this city. So that's what we mean by social value. In terms of the building of you know, some of these, these properties, um, we're absolutely clear that contractually, when we're committing public money to building these buildings, we want to make sure that you know, whoever wins these contracts employs young people within Salford, creates job opportunities, creates apprenticeships, and upskills our local labour market. So after the build is completed, you know, those young people will be skilled and therefore can go on and find employment elsewhere if necessary, or continue to be employed in, in those organisations and supply chains that actually build these properties. So that's what social value is about. It's also about employment standards. In Salford, we've got an employment standards charter where, as far as I understand, the only accredited living wage employer in Greater Manchester as a local authority. Um, which is fantastic. So it's about raising awareness about the importance of decent pay and decent terms and conditions of employment and trying to build that into the, the contractual process, but also trying to influence businesses within the city around the importance of this. Because we've got big challenges at the moment within the labour market and the economy, more broadly speaking, around low pay and low skilled employment. And we need to change that if we want to be a high skilled and high-paid economy here in Greater Manchester, which I know is part of the aspiration of the economic strategy. So you've presumably, in getting that underway uh, and encouraging businesses to engage with social value, you've got different levers that you can employ because, I mean, if you are actually putting money into something as a council, you've got quite a strong lever there, haven't Absolutely, you? It's like, yeah. well, we're not going to do it. if, if yeah, you know. yeah. um, And presumably also in terms of planning and in terms of development. But if you've got a company like Freshfields coming in or whoever, um, that has to be a lot softer because at the end of the day, they're just taking out office space. So, so how does that engagement take place? How do you sort of make sure that you, you are winning them over? And at what, what point in the process do you start having those conversations? Absolutely. So um, speaking with Freshfields, for example, um, and I have spoke with Freshfields personally, um, they're really impressed with the business offer in Salford. So the support we've given them, the links and the relationships they've built with our works and skills team within the city council, the relationship with Salford University, and the continuing relationship about how we can work with them to bring more jobs um, into into Salford and into New Bailey. So, you know, as far as I can see, we've worked really positively with Freshfields. I think the next stage is when they're recruiting um, new new people into their organisation, then, you know, having a conversation with us and the university early doors to try and get people from Salford into those jobs is absolutely critical. But um, certainly from what I can see, and the same is the, is, is the case with Swinton Insurance, um, um, we've, we've developed great working relationships with these organisations. And it isn't about, you know, mandating, it's about working with. So understanding their business, understanding their challenges, understanding what skills they need, and then working with them in terms of how we can obviously meet that. Um, and obviously things like the apprenticeship levy offer us an opportunity as well to have those conversations. With these I think the apprenticeship levy is, is a classic. I mean, so many businesses that we talk to, so many of our members and, and aspiring members, um, have CSR commitments, are genuinely wanting to engage. I mean, particularly, we'll come on to rough sleeping in a bit, but particularly around issues around rough sleeping, which obviously they see in the streets. And actually, they simply don't know how to do that. And and, and the apprenticeship levy is another classic where everybody knows it has to be paid. Yeah, there may be some resentment about that or not, or not resentment. But actually, understanding what that means for your business, the opportunities for your business is not clear in any way whatsoever. So there's a sort of really real willingness to engage with a lot of these issues. But actually for businesses, it's really a, 
it's not their top priority to do that. So a lot of this is actually about making it clear how they can do it, where they can go, what they can do, which is why you know we fund street support, um, which one of the reasons for that is if you're a company that wants to engage with rough sleeping, quick plug people, uh, you, to go to street support, we'll actually tell you how to do that, how to raise money, what, what people need. Um, so I think there is a, isn't there a definite role for councils and membership organisations like ours in actually just bridging that gap and saying, okay, you can do this and you can do this and this is how you, how you go about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally agree with that. And, you know, the combined authority along with the districts are supporting businesses around things like the apprenticeship levy. But for me as well, it's, it's not just about corporate social responsibility. It's also about, you know, having a conversation with businesses within Greater Manchester about, you know, how we collaborate in developing the economy of Greater Manchester at the end of the day. Um, because local authorities aren't, aren't the sole providers of, of, of wealth at the end of the day. It is those businesses, and the success of those businesses is going to be critical to the success of the economy within Greater Manchester. So for me, businesses play an absolute key role in terms of driving the growth and addressing things like the productivity gap within, within Greater Manchester and, and the nation more generally um, in terms of you know, moving forward. Because unless we grow businesses and develop industries, then you know, we're not going to address issues around poverty, to be perfectly honest with you, because, as I said earlier, the best antidote to poverty is decent paid employment. And decent paid employment comes when businesses are succeeding, both nationally and internationally, within the global economy. But it certainly does help if there are then nudges for engagement with local empl employment opportunities. And, I mean, I, I think we, we did, back in February, we did... Uh, Something in Greengate, and and at the end of the question and answer session, which was mostly around developments, um, we had a, a lady stick up her hand, and, and at that point, and ask the question that there was a momentary silence about, and you know we've talked about this since, yeah. um, saying I'm a cleaner in this building, it's cost me three fifty four quid to get in in this mor this morning. How realistically um, am I meant to benefit from? all of these developments and I think that's been one of the issues that we've seen quite a lot is it's great to have shiny new buildings bringing in shiny new companies from outside but how do you really bridge that gap to show that the wealth is spilling out that you really are providing opportunities and really providing jobs for the local communities yeah yeah no I totally agree with you and that's why um, Salford City Council is an accredited living wage employer so no one who's directly employed by the city council earns less than the real living wage not the government's living wage but the real living wage which has a methodology attached to it for actually calculating what people need to actually live on in line with you know living expenses and living costs um, and more employers need to embrace that agenda to be perfectly honest with you that's why we have an employment standards charter which is outward facing within the city we often talk to all these organizations about becoming an accredited living wage employer i accept that it's a decision for them but nevertheless if unless we tackle poor pay and in work poverty then these problems will continue um, and you know morally and ethically it's totally unacceptable in my opinion um, so what, I mentioned the transport issue there. I guess that for a lot of people coming from a little bit further out, if they want to benefit from the, the city centre, whichever side of the of the river that happens to be on, uh, or coming into Media City, um, it's transport that is actually the, the main thing or one of the main things that prevents them getting in to take advantage of those jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the transport question is, is quite complex. So I was delighted to see Andy Burnham negotiating with bus companies a reduction for 16 to 18-year-olds. Um, I think it's a 50% reduction in the price of fares, which is fantastic because that obviously improves social mobility for that cohort of people. 
But we do have an issue where if we look at what people earn and we look at the cost of transport, you know, transport is increasingly becoming, you know, unaffordable for a lot of people. You know, it's it's rising way above inflation quite often, especially if we look at things like rail fares and uh, people's salaries are not even rising in line with inflation. So, you know, it's a net cost to people and it's certainly a cut on their real disposable income, which is not good for the economy and it's certainly not good for the lived experiences of, of people within, within Greater Manchester. And in some respects, you know, this is a million-dollar question because, you know, investment in infrastructure costs money and where is that money going to come from? I mean, we've seen recently with the Crossrail announcements in terms of, you know, the, the quashing of electrification in the north, which, you know, to some extent seems to be compromising the whole idea of the government's support of the northern powerhouse. Um, I, I, I'm uncertain about where the money's going to come from. One thing I do know is I don't think it's right to continue to tax people who are already suffering from poor pay to actually pay for, for these sort of transport costs. I also know that London and the South East have disproportionately benefited from public capital over the years on a per capita basis. Um, and, you know, it's time that Greater Manchester and the North got its fair share of that capital investment. Of course, Northern Ireland is going to do very well in the next couple of years. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. With the the deal with the DUP, where over a billion pound is going into Northern Ireland, and yeah, I think on a per capita basis, they're already doing extremely well out of the government in terms of revenue and capital. So, yeah, concerning times. Yeah. Um, I guess the major development that's happened in in Salford over the last 10, 15 years in in terms of buildings, in terms of employment has been Media City and the BBC coming and obviously we were having, there is a conversation in the news this morning around that. Um, One of the issues has always been how do you, how does the success of Media City spill out to the rest of the, rest of the city and the rest of Greater Manchester and the rest of the North West as well? Um, What are your views on that? How's how's it been going um, and how could it be improved? So people always focus on the BBC's relocation out of London. Um, And as we know, the entire BBC has not relocated outside of London. Parts of the BBC have relocated outside of London. So we need to be clear on what's been relocated here. Um, But the BBC in and of itself isn't really the success story here. It's the associated businesses. It's the growth of what was previously a derelict dockland, which has now been transformed into an absolutely amazing space, both in terms of the the public space there, the Lowry there, the outlet in terms of retail, more people are living there, the the activities and the water sports that go on there. You know, we've created something quite spectacular down at Media City, and it is a great success. I mean, we've also found out recently that we're one of the top five for business startups in the whole of the country, you know, even higher than the City of London. So, you know, talking about the BBC in isolation really doesn't capture the value we've, we've created. And also, from a city council perspective, um, the growth of Media City UK has inevitably meant more business rates income for the city council and more council tax income, which is helping us, certainly in times of austerity, protect jobs and services within the city. So, you know, when you actually try to capture that in the round, you realise quite quickly that what we've achieved there at Media City at Salford Keys is is absolutely phenomenal. You're right about the focus on the BBC, because certainly if you talk to John at the landing, and he'll, he'll proselytise for, for hours, if not days, about what the landing has and the landing's ability to provide work for startups, and that's at one end. Um, and the other end, uh, on Sunday, I, I did a course in Media City, which happened to be in, at a gym and in the industrial estate that surrounds it, which I'm, which I'm sure in the last three years has more than doubled in size. And when you're talking about real jobs for real people, 
uh, it's it's those sort of jobs that are actually really affecting the local community. And you, you really couldn't see Media City going into Pendleton and where, where you know, you couldn't see a divide there. You, you've got um, huge, huge hubs there that just weren't there a few years ago. And if you didn't have that that sort of that gleaming symbol at the, at the middle of it, probably none of that would have happened. It's those support services, isn't it, that come in? Absolutely. And, you know, I was asked recently to provide comment in connection with the um, the recent publication. And, you know, for me, it's the global brand. It's it's the identity of the BBC. It's, it becomes almost a magnet for other investors, other interested businesses wanting to set up business there. The other thing we've done as well with Media City, which is quite special, is we've co-located educational institutions there. So we've got the University Technical College there, we've got the City College there, and we've also got the university there. So we've created this real ecosystem that isn't just about business. It is genuinely about how businesses and educational institutions can kind of collaborate around you know, an industrial strategy based around media, tech, broadcasting um, and all these great things and when we, when we talk about one of the issues that we have in in greater manchester as a whole and, and actually in in most cities in the western world i think it is that issue of how do you get your 12 13 14 15 year olds to be doing the things that they're probably doing in their bedrooms anyway on ipads and youtube and whatever um but actually into the sort of state where they can create startups and be encouraged to do that or they can join companies who need those skills the coding skills and so on but actually you have that sort of microclimate within uh media city where all of those things are connected and almost there's a path through the city college to the university into the bbc yeah. which is almost seamless yeah, yeah absolutely and obviously you know the the recent work around the bbc's royal charter and some of ofcom's comments around its commissioning activity and expenditure you know the, the bbc as a corporation need to obviously improve you know because a lot of their expenditure is still in the city of london in the southeast so it's about how we work as a system with institutions like the bbc itv to ensure that that spend is is working for the Greater Manchester and Salford economy, um, and I think I mean you were talking about the sort of the symbolism of it as well. And, and as a as a dad of fairly young kids, I think um, having whenever they watch CBeebies, uh, the bridge over the Lowry as part of uh, the intro to Nina and the Neurons, I think it is. Um, <clears throat> but also having continually going back to here in Salford or here in Salford, Manchester, or here in Salford. In terms of the perception of young people coming through, there probably isn't anything greater because whatever you know perceptions the adults may have of Salford over the years or from Coronation Street or whatever, the perceptions of young people growing up are Salford is this amazing place where all this amazing fantasy happens and these stories are told. And I think in 20, 25 years, that, that will have an astounding impact on people's willingness to come here, wanting to be here, wanting to just play around and, and, and be very sympathetic to Salford. Absolutely, totally agree with you. Um, and in a sense, what we've done is we've gone full circle here. You know, Salford was at the heart of the Industrial Revolution. It's where wealth was created within Britain. And obviously, industrial decline, post-industrialization, the growth of the service economy. What we're now seeing is almost an industrial renaissance within Salford around key industries and key sectors. Obviously, in the case of Media City, this is very much aligned to broadcasting tech comms um yeah and the creative industries really so you know it's exciting times and you know media city uk is going to double in size over the next 10 years which as far as i'm concerned creates more opportunities for the people of salford now that's one huge project you've got another huge project at the the other end of your city in the rhs garden and various <laughs> yes. various things are going to so um talk us a little bit through that but also again how does the success of that, the hopeful success of that, how does that spill out into success for Salford people more generally? Yeah, so RHS Bridgewater is is a totally separate 
offer in, in many respects. So it's about creating green space. And, you know, since austerity, since 2010, a lot of our parks and green spaces have really, really suffered. And, you know, when the RHS was talking about its fifth national garden and where it potentially wanted to locate it, um, where better than, than in the city of Salford, where we, you know, we complement what we've got down at Media City with a very different offer um, in terms of green space, public space for people to en enjoy their leisure time. And, you know, the, the tricks, well, not tricks, but certainly the challenge moving forward is going to be how we connect RHS Bridgewater with all the communities of Salford, both from a transport point of view and in terms of them being able to afford to, to, to go there and obviously experience RHS. I've always got the impression that one of the reasons why the RHS was looking up north and, and finally settled on, on Salford was that real desire to get away from the image that they have of being based in large gardens in Surrey and various other areas in, in, in the country as well. And, and actually that, that desire to have community engagement is very real for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the RHS ran a campaign recently called Greening Grey Britain. And, you know, green spaces shouldn't just be for the, for the south of the conurbation, if you like, and they shouldn't just be for the more affluent areas. You know, green spaces should be accessible to all, irrespective of income. And, you know, that's what we're working with um, the RHS to hopefully achieve here in, in Salford. And it's not just Salford as well. This will be an asset for the whole of Greater Manchester and the whole of the Northwest as well. So, you know, from a tourism point of view, this will create a lot of employment opportunities for the people of Salford. And again, just like I was talking about, the, the impact of the BBC on sort of the psychological view of Salford, having an RHS garden is going to be absolutely yeah, huge, isn't it? Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a lot of kind of corporate global brands now, the BBC, RHS, Swinton Insurance, Freshfields Law Firms, you know, people are coming to Salford to, to invest and, and to create employment. So we've talked about a lot of the positive things. Um, obviously, in your role as a cabinet member for um, Mayor Burnham, around housing, um, homelessness and rough sleeping is a huge issue. Um, yeah, I think there was a report this morning that was talking about, I think crisis were talking about a 70% increase in rough sleepers over the, over the last few years. Uh, and by, by 2025 or 2027, it's going to continue as well. So um, what can the mayor do? What can local councils do that is going to make a real difference? So homelessness and rough sleeping is, is a complex issue. Um, and I say that because there's multiple elements interacting which is creating this problem. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's, a, it's a disgrace that in the 21st century, in one of the, the, the wealthiest economies in the world, we have a situation where people are sleeping rough on our streets and finding themselves sofa surfing and homeless. And, you know, we need to do something about this, um, both as a local authority, as a combined authority working with Andy Burnham, but also the government and other interested parties, be it businesses and, and the third sector. I don't think... There's a single solution to this, this intractable problem. Um, I do think this problem has been created for a whole host of different reasons. So welfare reform seems to be very much at the heart of um, homelessness and rough sleeping in terms of the introduction of bedroom tax, changes to things like local housing allowance, um, universal credit, people not being able to afford to make ends meet. And the government has to take some responsibility for that. I also think the chronic undersupply of social housing and council housing over many years, and that includes the previous um, Labour government under, under Tony Blair, you know, is part of the problem here. Because we know if we look at our housing waiting list just in the city of Salford, we've got over 7,000 people um, needing either a social house or a council house. We can't provide those because of things like caps on the housing revenue account, where government won't allow us to borrow to build council housing. 
and a lack of clarity, certainly in the government's housing white paper more recently, about what on earth we're going to do to actually build more council housing. Government talk about affordable housing. Affordable housing often is 80% of whatever the market rate is. It's not linked to people's income. Unless we start having a big national conversation about what truly constitutes affordable, then we're not going to be building the type of housing that people can genuinely afford. You know, I've, I'm aware of a situation in, in Salford where, you know, we've got young people who are in work who are paying between 70% and 80% of their salary just in rents. You know, the housing market is has grown exponentially and is not linked in any way, shape or form to what people earn. All of this needs to be changed. Also, the planning system as well is, is partly responsible for some of the problems here. So when developments come forward, developers make on, on, on average between 15 and 20% profit. That's protected by the government's national planning policy framework. And then they have conversations about affordable housing and some contributions to things like Section 106 agreements for infrastructure, public realm, contributions to building schools, doctor surgeries, all that sort of stuff. But what they increasingly turn around to us and say is that developments aren't economically viable, and then that therefore eats into contributions to Section 106 and affordable housing. So it is really challenging. So welfare reform and also what's happening in the labour market as well in terms of people's income. You know, wages have stagnated. We've got big problems with insecure employment, low pay. So all of this together creates a problem which presents itself in terms of rough sleeping and, and homelessness. So to actually solve the problem will take some time. And I don't think it's something um, Salford Council or Andy Burnham can solve in isolation. Although in the short term, we'll continue, continue to do what we can, working with partners in Greater Manchester, as we've always done, to find solutions. So, you know, Andy's announced the mayoral fund, and I think they've raised over £50,000 so far, and they've started allocating some of that money to some of the organisations trying to tackle rough sleeping and get rough sleepers into employment and upskill them. So there's a lot of good activity going on, but I do feel some of that is a bit of a sticking plaster. And actually, we need some systemic reform to actually solve some of these problems. And, and layered on all those issues in the in the housing market, of course, we've got uh, cuts which have an impact on support services. And, and certainly in terms of rough sleepers in the, in the city centre, you're seeing some major drug problems, first with spice, increasingly with heroin as well. Uh, and in some ways... Uh, it's awful to say, but, but heroin, at least there is a path for recovery from and we understand it, whereas Spice, we don't really, really understand it. But a part of what we're seeing in the city centre is the result of cuts to support services elsewhere in Greater Manchester or elsewhere in the north. Um, so people are having to come into the city to beg because that's the only way that they can get an income. We're seeing sort of organised crime come in to prey on them as well. Um, and, I, and a lot of this is actually trying to understand the problem, which is what we're working with businesses and academia and various others to try and pick apart some of those problems. So um, you know, it's it's where there are um, hostels or there are, there is housing. Uh, many of these people can't actually stay in those hostels or housing because they're so disassociated from the problems that they have elsewhere. So there's a whole layer of social support pro issues that we've got to deal with as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, austerity for Salford has meant 186 million taken from our revenue budget. 47% of our budget is gone since 2010. Um, the consequence of that is we've had to make cutbacks. We've made cutbacks in temporary supported accommodation. We've made cutbacks in our drug and alcohol services within the city. And all of this exacerbates the problem. You know, even our homelessness support services as well have been shrunk significantly. So all of this creates a resourcing problem to actually work with these individuals, support these individuals and get them into to the world of work and, you know, out of the situations they, they find themselves in. So, you know, fundamentally, austerity seems to be at the heart of 
of, of the problem and actually trying to change some of that is is going to be it's going to be tough but we'll continue to lobby government around some of this government have obviously announced some additional funding i don't know whether that's enough if i'm being perfectly honest with you because of the multifaceted nature of the issue and um, we need to build council housing and social housing as quick as we possibly can to actually accommodate these people but we also need to make sure it's affordable because you know some of the welfare reform issues mean that people who are on the local housing allowance won't be able to live in council and social housing because they won't be able to actually pay the rent. Yeah, I mean, we've seen obviously in the city centre rents going up in, in private housing by 20%, 25% in the last couple of years. Um, and while there are an awful lot of new flats that are going to come online, uh, the question is whether that's actually going to have an impact. If there's a large number that are being sold, well, they're being created as buy to rent or they're being they're being bought by major investors and and deliberately targeted at particular markets, young professional market particularly. Um, we're starting to see some changes in some developers looking at uh, family housing, which is something that, we, that we're in dire need of, I think, in around, the, around the city centre as well. I mean, you've been, you've been quite critical, and I think it was almost the first statements that you made when you came into office around Section 106s and around developers. Are you starting to see a change in how developers are reacting, or are they still sticking to the line of, um, we can't afford to do that? I, I'm certainly not seeing any direct change. Um, what, what I am seeing is that, you know, Salford, we, we put quite a bit of money into our planning department. We, we even capitalise some of our salaries as well to ensure that we've got a decent resource in place to ensure that we can pursue developers through things like clawback to ensure that we get contributions to 106 and to challenge some of the viability issues that developers, you know, raise with us when when developments are going through. So we're doing all we can to ensure we get as much money as we possibly can through Section 106 to, to you know, grow the economy and create um, opportunities for the people of Salford, but also to protect jobs and services within the city. You know, it's really, really important that developers play a role in that. But as I say, this this, this issue is, is quite problematic. Um, government, in my opinion, need to do an awful lot more to ensure that affordable housing, genuinely affordable housing, is actually built within places like Greater Manchester. And, you know, that will require some degree of subsidy through the, the HCA. Um, and obviously, you know, a change in policy, because at the moment, the government seems to think that the market, and just by simply increasing supply, will address some of these issues. Well, I can't see that happening anytime soon, because a lot of what's being built through the market by increasing supply isn't affordable for a lot of people. Okay, so to move back to the more positive stuff, um, <laughs> and a very broad open question. Where do you think Salford's going to be in, in 10 years' time? And, and how do you think things are going to work in terms of um, the separate councils in Greater Manchester? Will we still have separate councils in, in 10 years' time? Yeah, it's a difficult question to answer, but um, I know in my case, um, I'm proud to be the mayor of the city of Salford. Um, I'm also humbled by this role. And I also appreciate that the culture and the identity of the city of Salford is really, really important to the people of this city. So certainly over a 10-year period, I'll be fighting to ensure that that identity, that culture is recognised. And part of that recognition has to be about having your own local authority, um, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, the future is we'll probably still continue to have 10 local authorities, in my, in my opinion. Um, in terms of collaborating, we'll continue to collaborate as we've always done 
um, with all the other districts and with the mayor of Greater Manchester. I, I guess that's been the unseen bit, though, over the last few years because of the cuts, because of what's driven. There has been a lot more talk about sharing of services and, and actually that that's starting to happen. Presumably that will continue. Yeah, so the sharing of services went on way before we had a directly elected mayor and you know, combined authority. Um, we share, for example, legal services with Manchester. Um, we've just entered into um, a new contract recently. I was at the procurement board the other day where... Um, we're basically doing drug and alcohol services with Bolton and Wigan, you know, and I think it's Greater Manchester West Mental Health Trust has, has been the successful contractor there. And, you know, yeah, we will continue to share services where it's clearly in the interest of the people of the city. What motivates us, obviously, is ensuring outcomes um, and protecting people's jobs and services to the best of our ability, which is easier said than done in a climate of austerity and local government cuts. We have to take another eight million, for example, out of our budget this next financial year coming, which is going to be a real struggle because we already know that many of our services are already at the bone in resource terms. And I think in terms of the, what we've seen in the city centre on your side of the OL, the expansion into Greengate, expansion New Bailey, um, then out through Chapel Street, presumably that's all planned to continue. And somebody who visited 10 years ago and somebody who visits in 10 years' time will see a radically different uh, eastern, western side of the <laughs> OL uh, at, that, at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is scheduled to continue. However, it isn't easy. And I say it isn't easy for a whole host of reasons. I don't think government actively incentivise growth. Um, certainly, as quick as we grow our economy in terms of increasing council tax and business rate income, um, as a consequence of austerity, it seems that the government take money off us through something called the Revenue Support Grant. So for me, government need to get a bit cleverer with regards to how they incentivise local authorities around growth. We, we do okay through things like growth deals, but for me, you know, the North and certainly Greater Manchester and the North West has suffered for a long time, really, in terms of public capital going into the City of London and the South East. And we need to do a lot better on that front. But yeah, we're going to continue to do what we're doing. We've also entered into some joint master planning with the University of Salford. So the extension from Greengate, New Bailey, down Chapel Street, and then down that Crescent Corridor will, will continue. And, you know, it's exciting times, really. And I genuinely believe now is um, Salford's time. And actually making best use of some of those astonishing historical buildings there. An awful lot of people who visit Greater Manchester as a whole just don't know that, that are there. Absolutely, yeah. And we've got some amazing buildings in the, in the city of Salford. The, the unfortunate thing with, with some of this is um, developers quite often say to us that they can't protect or restore those buildings, again, around the issue of economic viability because it becomes a cost to the development and sometimes um, they just can't manage to find the money to, to do what's necessary to protect the historical heritage of, of the city of Salford, which is a real shame. But, you know, austerity makes it even harder for the local authority to do anything about that sort of issue as well. Um, one of your officers talking to them a, a couple of weeks back came up with the what I thought was a rather brilliant metaphor, and I don't know whether this comes down from you, that um, Manchester city centre is, is Manhattan and uh, the, the Salford side is Brooklyn. And obviously Brooklyn <laughs> has been one of the, the trendiest and most all you need is a huge zoo and a one, rather wonderful zoo because um, you've already got the art, art gallery. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting metaphor for some of the things that are now starting to happen. We're seeing some amazing coffee shops coming up, a lot of startups coming up, obviously yeah. our friends at Blueprint Studios and the Eagle and around there, very, very creative quarters as well. Yeah, absolutely. So arts and culture is very much at the centre of our kind of approach to regeneration and economic development. Um, and also the heritage and history of the city. It's really important that whatever we do moving forward is sympathetic to the past because, you know, part of our culture is, is reflecting on our history and our past. And 
in many respects, I believe we, we stand on the shoulders of giant of, of people that have gone before us and done amazing things in the city of Salford. And it, we owe a credit to them to recognise their work and, and be sympathetic to it in, in, in the future. But yeah, it is really exciting times. I think in economic terms, for me, we've got to make sure we differentiate ourselves from the kind of laissez-faire neoliberal attitude to just attracting investment at any cost, which is why things like social value matter. But it's also about, you know, what is our economic unique selling point really for me and and I think it is about Salford being a maker city you know it's about where things happen where things are done and yeah that does fit with your your analogy I think not mine it was one of your officers <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to see that on uh, advertising campaigns <laughs> thank you very much thanks to Paul if you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at citygo.com Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, Acast and Soundcloud or direct from the source at cityco.com slash podcasts. Please leave a review or some likes if you like what you hear. Until next time.